Hey, we are in the building, guys. So the Born Moguls Podcast, we are here. I am one half of your host. This is One Honest Guy. What's up, everybody? What's going on, y'all? So you all know this podcast is about making men more effective, exceptional, and extraordinary. And we speak about the 6F method, finance, faith, fashion, fitness, focus, and family. Correct. Today, we have a man of faith, Marquise Garrison. Some call him Pastor Garrison. Some call him the beer whisperer. <laughs> now, when they start calling you the beer whisperer, when did that actually start happening for you? Uh, about two minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, as, as the beer whisperer, what advice do you have for these men out here who have the, like the Steph Curry baby face going on still? Um, number one, shave often and, exfol- and exfoliate. Mm-hmm. And then number two, have good genetics. <laughs> That's the second thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you gotta yeah, have. Yeah. You gotta have good genetics. So how long? How, how long have you been growing that beard, man? This is four years. Four so years. November made think, four years. I think yeah. when he was uh, in second grade, that's when he first had like that five o'clock shadow. Because I, I recall no, that was Jared. Grade. That was Jared. <laughs> Jared had a beard in like sixth grade, Come bro. On, man. We were all he, looking he at him. He really did. No, he really did. It was crazy. Okay, guys. Uh, so in all seriousness, thank you for being here, Marquise. We're excited to have you here. This is going to be part one of what may be a two or three part interview episodes conversation. And this is going to be about faith, which is one part of our 6F method. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, you are currently a pastor. Mm-hmm. All right. And Lamont, you were previously a pastor, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is a very interesting dichotomy here because we have two men who are who are of faith still, right? One yeah. is still yeah. practicing the uh, the religion. I think Lamont, you still practice it as well. I do, yeah, I do, right? Yeah. Um, but you, I guess you're here, Marquise, and you're actually in the pulpit still preaching. Lamont, you're no longer doing that. Correct. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So where I want to start, guys, and Marquise, you can go first. You're the guest. Tell me how you found your way to Christ. Um, that's for me, that's a, to me, it's a, a, like a very open ended question. It could go on and on and on. Um, I grew up in the church. I think a lot of us did, right? Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. it, it, because I think sometimes because those of us who grew up in the church, we weren't necessarily proselytized Mm. into the church. Like there's two conventional ways that you come by faith. Right. It's typically either you are proselytized into the face, which means somebody came to you, they confessed to you like on the street or something like that. Okay. And then it is by their faith that you, you know, you kind of hear the word and then you begin to believe. Right. Or you're born into it. Right. And um, in my opinion, sometimes when you're born into it, that's typically where a lot of the questions start because you don't know anything but it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Okay. So when people ask me like, oh, when did you come into the faith and stuff like that? Or whenever I get a question like that, it's like, oh, it's really hard to answer because I've always been a Christian. I've always been a professing Christian, even when I wasn't acting like it. Right? Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, actually, I have a better question. And let me ask this. Maybe this is a better way to ask this question. At what point did you feel like you were called by God to preach the word or to give the word to other people? How did you know that God called upon you all specifically yeah. to manifest the religion and to give it to other people? Lamont, what about you? 
I think it's kind of unfair, man. <laughs> and you, you, you may have the same experience. I don't know. You may, it may be different for you, but like, if you just can speak well in the black community, right? And mm-hmm. if you just, if, if you're a really good, uh, person or they, they seem like, you know, they, everybody comes to you for questions and, uh, you know, and you, you can pretty much answer them. Mm-hmm. Everybody will say, even at a young age, man, I feel like you got a call. You called to preach. Yeah, right. You called to do this or you okay. called to do that. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's a little bit unfair because like, you know, at a young age, you really don't know what it is that you're called to do. Right. Mm-hmm. But then people kind of force you in that direction sometimes. And I think, you know, when you get to an older age and you really start to know God and you really start to like seek God out, like he'll start to reveal things to you. Right. Okay. And I think that's the reason why I kind of did step down because I was listening to everybody else telling me, Lamont, you need to be a preacher. Lamont, you, you're called to preach. Lamont, you need, you know, you, you need to shepherd a flock. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I, I, you know, going, looking at, you know, looking at it from a, a different perspective, right? I thought I was going in for the right reasons, right? I thought I was doing it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And then I found out I was actually doing it to please everybody else. Okay. Now, how old are you at this point? Uh, so, at that point, how old are you? Uh, so when I, when people were telling me to, Preach or when I actually started preaching? When you started preaching. I think it was 19. 19? Yeah, it was 19. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. so it was, it was very, it was a very fun time in my life. It was very difficult, right? So my wife at the time, we had just had twins and uh, we started a home church. And from mm-hmm. there, the home church kind of blew up into, hey, it, it's too many people to fit my living room of 900 square feet, you know, apartment I have that's 900 square feet. And I'm yeah. using my living room for, you know, Bible studies and church services and things of that nature. Um, and then I ended up moving into a building where, uh, I linked with the pastor, man. And he was, you know, I was actually trying to rent a church and I kind of told him the story. I said, yo, I'm a 19 year old guy. You know, I just felt like, you know, God called me to preach and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. He's like, bro, like, I love your story. You can use my building for free. So he let me use his building for free. And it was, uh, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good experience, man. It was called fighting God's will ministries. Right. And, uh, at one point in time, the height of it, man, we had like almost 150, 200 people. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, wow. you know, as a 19 year old kid with, with two newborns and then my wife's pregnant with another one, mm-hmm. um, it's very taxing. Right. And, uh, it was a fun experience. I think I impacted a lot of people. Um, the thing is, you know, you know, early on, if you have the gifts of the spirit, right. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that, uh, will just trigger you, right? If you can hear God's voice at a young age, or, you know, if you are able to speak in tongues at a young age, if you have mm-hmm. the ability to prophesy, you know, it's, it's certain things, right. That, that you just know is of the spirit that, that, you know, most people can't do. Okay. So, you know, as a young kid and I'm, I'm teaching and I'm preaching and I'm prophesying and, you know, things are coming to pass and things are coming true. And then I got turmoil in the back of my life, yeah. right at home, because, yeah. you know, we went from, a small, maybe 10 to 15 people gathering to almost a hundred to 200 people. And and almost, I mean, I want to say maybe two or three months, uh, jealousy starts to set in (laughs) for for the wife. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting calls at three o'clock in the morning saying, Hey, I got a guy at the alley. That's, that's, uh, got a gun to his head. I need you to come talk him off the ledge. Mm -hmm. And I wake up I say, Hey, look, I got to go to the alley. There's a guy, yeah, and Allie is a club here. There's mm-hmm. a guy, you know, that's a bouncer that's about to blow his brains out. Yeah. And she's like, oh, so you're going to the alley. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, is, it's, it's just, it was just right. other things that were going on there. Right. And uh-huh. uh, so that's basically how I got to it. I felt like I was kind of pushed into it. But okay. I think that 
my mom always said, if it's God's will, it's his bill. So he, he paved the way for me to do it. Right. Yeah. Because like I said, my, my intention was always pure. It was never for recognition. It was never to be one of the, the highest known pastors. I didn't care about that stuff, man. I just wanted to help people. Right. I, I just mm-hmm. enjoyed reading the word and I enjoyed teaching the word. And then they kind of was like, Hey, get your own church, get your own church. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like one of yeah. those things. So, uh, and so we're going to revisit that too. I have questions I want to ask about, yeah. about that uh, in particular. Marquise, you're currently you're currently a pastor. How did how did you know that God called upon you to spread his word, to spread his message? Um, I would say initially kind of like Lamont. Everybody kept telling me <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're um, and I think you're absolutely right. Like when you're a black in the black church, right, it's the way that they do church is definitely different. It is. First of all, <laughs> it's just different. It and if you are articulate and eloquent with your speech, especially at a young age, the first thing they say is, oh, you're going to be a preacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then for me, not only was I articulate and eloquent with how I spoke at a young age, I was also very authoritative. Okay. Right. So I would speak with conviction whenever I spoke about anything that's, you know, didn't have to be um, the Bible or anything else. Mm. Um, and then at a very young age, the bishop uh, over the church that I was at, he kind of like took me under his wing in a sense, like I was always at church, even when the rest of my family wasn't at church. Yeah. Um, you know, the mother of the church would come and pick me up from home, even when like my mom and stuff didn't go to church. She'd come and pick me up and I'm ready to go to church. Mm-hmm. But I actually enjoyed church. I genuinely enjoyed it. Um. And then as I got older, I kind of got out of it. And I feel like probably like my teenage years, very early adult years when we were at Virginia State together. Um, I want to say that was the time in my life where probably was the hardest for me. Mm-hmm. And that was because I was truly running. Um, you had a prodigal son moment. I really did. Like, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to explain explore and like not be this Christian, this typical, like I wanted to actually have the experience of the world. All right. So right. <laughs> females would call this the whole face. <laughs> yeah. And there was, and I was, I was not hoeing around, but she <laughs> no, actually was not. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to, I'm not going to act. I'm not going to pretend like I'm holier than that. I wanted to, yeah, I yeah. wanted to like, I had made up in my mind I was going to get to Virginia State and I was going to have a ball. Like, I made that... Before I got to Virginia State, I made that up in my mind, right? Yeah. Then I get to Virginia State and I kind of, like, start. Like, and then every time I'm like, but I can't. Mm. And then I start Mm. and then I can't. (laughs) And so that ended up having a huge effect on, like, my grades because now I'm not going to class. Yeah. Right? And then... um, my, I want to say like awakening out of that moment, this wasn't necessarily my call moment, but my awakening out of that moment was I had went out one night with a bunch of friends, group of friends, and just being transparent, we were out smoking, drinking, we were out to probably about two, three in the morning. And then I came back to my dorm and I fell asleep, but I only fell asleep for like two hours. I couldn't sleep. Mm. And I, and I got up and it was like five o'clock in the morning and 
I think the sun was like maybe just coming up or whatever. And I went into the bathroom. I splashed some water in my face. And I looked in the mirror and I was just like, this is not the man that my mother raised me to be. Mm. And I just got afraid. Like, I'm talking about like a fear for my life afraid. I wasn't in any immediate danger. Yeah. But I had like a fear for my life. Like, I really thought I was going to die. I called my mom and I told her, I said, look, I can't stay here. And You mean the, the college? At, the at school. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This was a Tuesday. I'll never forget it. This was a Tuesday. She said, okay, what do you want to do? I said, I, I don't know, but I, I can't stay here. And she was like, okay. This is what we'll do. I'll come and get you, but I can't come and get you to the end of the week. I need you to go. I need you to pack all your stuff. I need you to be prepared. I need you to go and withdraw from school. Uh-huh. Oh, so you mean you was. I couldn't. I could not stay. Oh, okay. At school. And. Excuse me. Um, it had nothing to do with Virginia State. Um, although it is a party school, like it had nothing to do with Virginia State. It had everything to do with me. Mm. So, I felt like spiritually, like I was not in the right place. Oh, okay. And I, I spiritually felt like I felt like if I hadn't left there, whatever was coming for me spiritually would have got you. Would have got me. Yeah. No, no, and so that led me to um, the next couple of days. To be honest with you, the next couple of days, I really wasn't even thinking about it like that in the terms I'm thinking about it now. Next mm-hmm. couple of days, I tried to live it up. I was like, okay, I got three days left here. You had a party, right? I remember. I had a, I had a party you, and all that. Like, the, my the going away party. party. Yeah. yeah, my friends threw <laughs> a party for me and all that type of stuff. Like, yeah. I, was, I was like, okay, well, you know, and then I left that Friday. I withdrew and all that type of good stuff. And um, yeah, that, that was it for the moment. My call moment, though, where I knew I was called to preach um, because I'd always heard it my entire life. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, you got this, you got this, all this type of stuff. But the moment where I knew for myself where I feel as though God spoke to me, it was in a dream one night. I was married. I was in Hawaii. I was maybe 23. Um, I had been in Hawaii at this point, maybe six months to a year, somewhere around there. Hmm. Knew that. We had just had my son and my, um, my wife, me and my wife were laying in bed and I have this dream where I felt like it's like this out of body experience dream. And I'm not going to go into the details of it because it might sound crazy, but in that dream, without a shadow of a doubt, God spoke to me and was like, are you going to serve me? Hmm. And what's crazy is in the dream, I was like in a church and I tried to get up and run out the door and the door closed. It wouldn't let me out. And in the dream, it wasn't like a, I had a fear, but it wasn't like a terrible fear. It wasn't like I, like I was going to get harmed fear. It was like that, that real reverence, right? When the Bible says the fear of the Lord, Mm -hmm. And when it's talking like not a fear, like he's going to harm me, but it's a fear out of respect. Like, yeah. so I knew it was God talking to me and I just sat there and in the dream, I was at an altar um, in the front of a church and I just fell on my knees and started crying and praying. And I said, yes, God, I'll serve you. Wow. And then from that point forward, me and my wife start just talking. What does this look like? All this type of good stuff. Um, 
Now, mind you, that's when I knew for sure I was called. Still didn't start. Wasn't officially ordained until maybe another five years after that. Um, and started preaching, you know, here and there at the ministry I was with in Hawaii. Got here and started preaching and all that type of good stuff. But, yeah. So, all right. So, this where, this is where me and you may have a little bit of a disagreement here, right? So, the reason why I, I kind of stepped away from pastoring was, you know, I was dealing with a lot of stuff with, you know, my, my wife and them. But um, also there was uh, a level of the, you know, a level of ministry that I was able to get to see from the other pastor that was allowing me to use this church. Right. Um, and he was a Baptist pastor and he pulled me in through one of the um, it was one of the, the trustee meetings or like the board of trustees or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, they handed me the like these articles of declaration for the, the Baptist church. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there, I'm reading it, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is the only way you can come, uh, you know, not be a Baptist is if you die. And, you know, there's certain things that you had to do, you know, certain things that you had to do, you know, at, in the church and blah, blah, blah. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, bro, like, I literally turned to him, and I said, hey, pastor. I said, bro, this is the same stuff they were telling me with gang initiation. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like it's the, oh, like the, the only way out is in a box type. Yeah, of thing. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, bro. I thought we was <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Right. Okay. And you know, for me, I didn't I didn't go to uh you know divinity school. I didn't get my you know masters or anything for this. Like I'm mm-hmm. I'm literally a streetwalker type pastor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I'm just walking the streets. I'm I'm dealing with people in the streets. Like I'm I'm literally got I got my Bible in my hand. I'm going to different churches. I'm talking and. You know, like I'd never had a actual degree. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I've, I've noticed that there's a huge difference between how people who have degrees interpret the word and then people who don't have you know mm-hmm. degrees interpret the word. And when I started looking at the people I was under, I was like, I, I just I, I don't know if I can do this anymore, because to me, it's more like a business now. It's more like. All right, well, you have to have this number of members in order to keep the the church, you know, funds going. You got to have this many offerings per week. You got to have this many tithes per week. And, you know, so I started asking certain questions that wasn't really getting answered. And uh, I was kind of being shunned away from the church and kind of being pushed out as an outcast because it's like, hey, this is how we do things here. Even though we're Christians, you know, we still have to there's a business that has to be run here. Yeah. I'm like, well, how do you like how do you how do you justify that? Because if you're if your main goal is to win souls for the kingdom, mm-hmm. why do you care about that pocketbook? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, why yeah. do you care about that? Right. And I think that was something that really got with me, because if you look at Old Testament tithe, if you look at New Testament giving very different than what we deal with here today. Can you explain that? What is the old versus the new Testament as far as like the, the tithes and offering? So in the old Testament, there were several different tithes, right? And, uh, one of the tithes was for the priest. The other one was for, um, uh, basically a blessing to pretty much get rid of your sins. You would, you know, give a, give a ram to the priest and that Uh would be, um, something that would pretty much cleanse you and your family of their sins. There's another, uh, tithe where everybody would take a 10th of all the increase and then they would all go to this one place and have like Mm -hmm. this huge block party type gathering. Right. Okay. Um, but then there's another tithe that happened with, uh, Melchizedek, right. Where, um, who was it that gave, uh, Melchizedek a a 10th of his Abraham. Yeah. Abraham gave Melchizedek a 10th of his offering, right. Okay. A a 10th of all the spoils. The the 10% from that rule. 
No. So if you don't really. mind. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So um so there are several different offerings, but there is technically only one tithe. Okay. So there's several different offerings. There's like the burnt offering. There's, yeah. you know, there's just different offerings for okay. different things, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's one tithe. The tithe is what you, in the Old Testament, you are required to do. That yeah. comes out of Leviticus. Okay. Um, the tithe that goes to the priest, and this is where most churches today rest on the justification for paying pastors and things like yeah. that, is that in the Old Testament, um, in Leviticus, it says... My, that you should that you should tithe you tithe mm-hmm. into the um into the temple yeah. and then the temple god it says that and i will tithe a tithe of that tithe to my servants so yeah. god gives a tithe of the all the money that comes in which is 10% of all the money that comes in okay. to his servants and but then they are supposed to still take a tithe of that and give back into the into the church okay. or into the temple um, and then everything else is just offering, which mm-hmm. right offering is what you freely give or what you give in case of a sin in the Old Testament. Right. Mm-hmm. So a tithe was required. A offering was not necessarily required. But if you know you sin, you need to do a sin offering. Right. So okay. those those are a little bit different. Um even with like Abraham, Abraham wasn't commanded to yeah, tithe. Yeah, there was not a command. For yeah, him. it was okay. a command for him to tithe. He he chose to tithe to Melchizedek, where that's a whole another thing. Yeah. But um, and then when you get to the New Testament, which I think was what you was getting to, New Testament is kind of different. Mm-hmm. New Testament doesn't necessarily speak against the tithe, um, but you do see the principle, especially in Acts, in the case of giving. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Where especially where they talk, um, they talk about the people gave of their exit of the excess. Well, right? even in Acts, you had some people who just sold everything, sold everything. Yeah. So they're selling everything that they have in abundance. Okay. And they're giving it to the ministry. They're giving it to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're giving it to the church. So that way the gospel can go forth. There is a principle of giving of you can't outgive God. Right. Right. So, and then there is a necessity for it in the church. I think the problem, in my opinion, comes in when that, when that, um, what I consider a secondary necessity becomes a primary necessity. Okay. So this leads me into one of my next questions. I actually think it's very important to ask because there is obviously, I think, um, differing opinions about this. How do you all feel about? pastors, bishops, reverends that become massively wealthy through the church. Yeah. Creflo dollar, people like that. I, so I, I hundred percent disagree with it. Okay. And if it's, if it's coming solely from the church, I disagree with it. Okay. But if it's coming from books or if it's coming from speaking engagements where you, you know, you got a packed house that everybody paid to come see you. Yeah. That's different. Well, well, okay. Let me ask this, right? they got the speaking engagement based upon their position with the church. So mm-hmm. should they then take whatever the profit is from the speaking engagement, the book, whatever the particular business venture is and give it all to the church? No, no, no. So I think, you know, when it comes to just, and like I said, this is just, just my opinion. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> we have people who uh, will tell you to tie the certain tithe. 15, God says, if you, if you spend 15, if you, if you give $1,500 today, 
he will bless you in, in this in this retrospect, right? Uh-huh. I, I disagree with that fully. Okay. Yeah, I okay. disagree with that fully. You do as well, Marcus? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but if you have... If you have a tithe or, or you know, if, if you even have it set up to where people just come in and they, they bless you or bless the church with whatever the Holy Spirit lays on the heart to give mm-hmm. and they give it right. And then that's divvied out amongst the people who work in the church as divvied to the widows, the orphans, the, the aliens in the community. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's something left over for the people who uh, pastor the church. Right. In excess. Uh-huh. I think that should go back to the church. The the pastor should get a salary right. based on what he does because he's still working. He's still, I mean, like I said, I was three o'clock in the morning. Somebody's calling me. Well, like and, I had to answer and, the phone. And that's why, that's why yeah. I asked the question because, you know, in from your perspective or actually maybe in your defense, if you're having to be the religious leader, not just religious, but also just the leader in general for, yeah. you said almost You're separate people, to these people, yeah. Right? Not just them, but also their families. Yeah. Because yeah. they have kids, they have spouses, yeah. and yeah. everyone is coming to you for your advice. I think, is that justification for saying, okay, well, you know what? I am like running myself into the ground. Mm-hmm. So I have to see some fruits of my labor here. Now, I guess it becomes very, very blurred when you decide, okay, how do you decide what is the proper amount to gift yourself or to pay yourself as a pastor? If your church is making 10 million, should you get 1 million? If your church is bringing in a hundred K, should you get 30 K? You know, I I don't know if there's like a mathematical formula to determine that. But it is there. there, There is. Um, and I'm going, so I'll put it like this. I don't think the church, I think the churches wanting and, um, to pay their spiritual leaders is a great thing because it's great to be able to honor the, the person or, uh, who is sowing into you. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. They're sowing into you spiritually. And to your point, you're calling somebody, which they oftentimes do call you at two, three o'clock in the morning. I got to come pray for you. I got to come lay hands on your hard headed kids and (laughs) uh, talk talk to you and your husband because y'all marriage is on the rocks. And I got to sit here and counsel him and hold his hand on how to it's I mean, I'm not I'm saying it kind of facetiously, but I mean, it's real. It is right. And then, but then I got to get up and I got to get up at eight, you know, seven o'clock or six o'clock to be at work by eight o'clock. And now I got to work a full eight hour shift. Yeah. yeah. And now I get off and you got more questions and more calls. You will run yourself into the ground. Yeah. Doing that. And I've oftentimes seen most, I've seen very anointed pastors who have not been able to truly live up to their anointing because they have been bivocational, which the concept in um western culture that every pastor out there is a thief and uh a wolf in sheep's clothing is just completely false well um, so the, we did we did see is, that happen in the 60s 70s and 80s when you had the prosperity gospel right right okay. but even yeah. even then the his first of all historically but let's just go just the last 20 years right the average number of it's like 90% of all pastors in America. I think it's either 90 or 95, somewhere around there. Um, so let's just split the baby. Let's say 93% of all pastors in America are mm-hmm. bivocational. Okay. Which means you hold more than one job. 
Yeah. Right? Right. So I'm working a full 40-hour job. Pastoring is a full 40-hour job. All you see is the 30 minutes that I'm preaching. Yeah. But you don't see all the counseling. You don't see all the board meetings. Mm-hmm. You don't see all of that. You don't see the, I, we got to go to the bank. You don't see the stuff that I, I have to do on the background, the other means that we got to take with the lawyers and stuff like that. Because at the end of the day, I know we would love for this to be strictly spiritual. Right. But because of the country that we live in, it requires us to have the business aspect of things in hand, it requires us to. Yeah, I, if not, I, well, we so, can't. You don't think so? No, huh? I, yeah, I, I, you don't, I don't think so. I don't agree with that. Okay, for, for a church, yeah. for, for me individually ministering, for, for, for a five hundred one c three church, five hundred one c three church, yes. yes. If okay. you don't want the government involved, you don't. It's not necessary. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. okay. But for a five hundred one c three where you don't want to pay taxes or you mm-hmm. want to be considered a nonprofit, or that's where the sticky stuff gets in because now. Mm-hmm. 501c3 churches mm-hmm. are mandated to not say certain things by the government if the government says you can't say it. Okay. Y- yes and no. There's there's pushback to that. You have to know I'm going to tell you, the reason why a lot of churches operate like that is because they don't know what they have and don't have the liberty to say and not to say and to do and not to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, give, so, I give you COVID for example. Real quick. Yeah, yeah go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So in Hawaii, I knew a ton of churches who shut down during COVID. They said that, oh, man, the law is this and we have to shut down and da 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 mm-hmm. And they're threatening that if we don't, then they're going to do this and they're going to do that. My mother-in-law's church, um, even my church did it to my, I was just like, I don't think we should be doing that. But even the church that we were at at the time, they did it. My mother-in-law's church, they did it for a week. But then the pastor was like, we're not doing that. Yeah, we'll be cautious because we don't want people to get sick. Uh So we'll come in with masks on, but we're going to gather. Okay. Once they did it, a bunch of other churches started doing it. Uh Once the other churches started doing it, then the government was, then in Hawaii, this is a very um, liberal state. So, you know, during COVID, you know, the liberal states, they were very, um, I want to say extra, (laughs) right? Right. Um, Okay. So they really kind of wanted us to be more locked down, essential workers, da, 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 and they were like, no, we're not doing that. Uh-huh. And because they were able to stand up, first of all, there you have more rights, even as a 501c3, than what you know. Because there's two different types of 501c3s, and this is where they even mess up, just like on the legal side of, you will set yourself up as a 501c3, but you won't set yourself up as a 501c3 religiously exempt. Yeah. Religiously exempt. So one is a nonprofit. One is a nonprofit religion. Yeah. So yeah. the nonprofit religion has so many more like you can't things you can't restrict on things. You can't stop me from saying things you can't make me do. And this is where. As Christians, if we stop allowing people to dictate the narrative and tell us what we can and cannot do, it will actually be more of a benefit to us and it will allow us to actually accomplish more. So I don't you don't need a 501c3 to be taxes up. Okay. That that's first of all. Legally you don't need I, I went through a the whole thing on it. You don't need a 501c3 to be tax exempt. What you need a 501c3 for is to pass that tax exemption on to your parishioners and to people that you do business with. So if you have vendors and things like that, they can write it, certain things off on their taxes and all that type of stuff because yeah. they're technically giving donations to a certified nonprofit, right? But even as a nonprofit, you could give up your 501c3 at any time. 
you just then wouldn't be able to pass those tax exemptions off to your parishioners and all that type of stuff. Okay, well, let me ask this. And Lamont, this is directed towards you first. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what do you think your salary should have been when you had your church of nearly 200 people? What do you think would have, would have been a reasonable salary? I, I refused to take one. You didn't, you didn't take didn't, one dollar? Take one. No. You wouldn't take a dollar? So, and now mind you, at this time, because I know you very well, yeah. you were making 11 bucks an hour, maybe less than that. It was yeah. six bucks at yeah, that about point? 11, yeah, yeah. About 11 bucks an yeah. hour, okay. How many hours do you think you were putting in per week at the church, Bible study, Sunday school, preaching, answering phone calls? How much time do you think you were putting in? <laughs> it's kind of like, like here, right? Yeah. You know, uh, I get off work and then I do things at the house. It's still, you know, mandate business. Right. But I just uh-huh. I don't count the hours. And with me, man, I just it was never ending for me because I still had to study. I still had to, you know, deal with certain people every I think we had Tuesdays and Wednesday, Wednesdays. We were at the church. Sundays uh-huh. we were at the church. Um, Probably. I mean, just another 40, 50 hours a week on top okay. of that. So yeah. You're putting in total between both jobs, 80, 90 hours per week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. OK. Yeah. And again, you refuse to take one dollar. Yeah. Right. Marquise, same question. If you have a congregation of about one hundred and fifty people, what do you think is a reasonable salary? Assuming that let's assume that this church brings in a hundred K per year. Then your salary shouldn't be more than ten thousand dollars. Okay, ten percent, right? Ten percent. Okay. Mm. All right. So then so then let's let's talk about this gentleman, right? Mm. So if that is your salary at that level, when does it cap? When right? is it cap? Right. It caps because, at ten percent. Well, okay, this is what I'm saying, right? So then how can we disagree with someone like a Creflo Dollar who may be bringing in fifty million a year with his church? Yeah. I don't know the numbers. I'm just kind of spitting so, on here, right? I will give you a funny story with the Creflo Dollar church, right? So uh, he, he's uh, probably not a good example. I'm just I just No, he's a great ex- he's a great example. He? Okay. He's a great example because okay. uh what was the name of his church, man? Um, I couldn't. I, I forgot. I I'm forgot. Not a, I'm but, not a fan. So, but, but we were there. We were in Georgia. We don't like Creflo Dollar. Right? Let's make that clear. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he came out recently and said he pretty much apologized. He really for did. Everything that res- he did. Right? I respect any man. Okay. But he didn't um, get the money back though. He didn't get the money back. But I respect I mean, any, any man who's yeah. willing to, especially any man of God who's willing to come back and say, "Hey, I got this wrong. Let me correct it." Um, I, I respect anybody who do that. Now, mind you, at this point, it's been years. There's no way for him to tangibly give that money back. Unless but, he just gives it all back to the community. Unless he gives it all back yeah, to the community. Yeah. But then a lot of the stuff that they... Um, we, people have to look at what is privately owned and then what's owned by the church. I know some pastors okay. who stay in some very nice houses. Mm-hmm. And you would like, oh, man, the pastor did it up. But the, the, his house is owned by the church. Yeah, listen, I'm not... So, well, it's, I'm yeah, not so that's, that's, for, that's for taxes and purposes taxes. and right. all that stuff, right? Right, but, but then... Yeah, yeah. So unless, but unless that church gifts that house to that pastor... If that pastor like steps out of line, the church can technically take the they can house. Take the house. But okay. so the the issue that I have with that too is right. You got a multi 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 million dollar house, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And my mom and I, my mom, my brother, my sister, we were in Georgia homeless, right? Yeah. And then we went to his church. We, my mom was going to his church for years. This is Creflo Dollar. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we, okay. we were going to his church for years. Wow. Okay. He, this is right when he built the dome, the Creflo Dome or whatever it is, and he had like a whole little shopping center right there. Um, I forgot the name of the the area that we were in, but we were we were there. I was in fifth grade to almost eighth grade. We were in Georgia. Okay. 
Um, and we were world changers ministries. That's what it was. So we were there and my mom was like, Hey, look, man, I can't pay the rent this month. I need help. So they were like, all right, well, yeah, let's come to the back. So after church service, they pulled us in the back, they pulled up her tithing records and they said, well, Miss Page, uh, you missed this year. You missed this. You didn't give 10% this year. You didn't give 10% here. Mm. We can't help you. They did what? Wow. They pulled her, they pulled her records. Her tithing her records? Her tithing records. Oh, wow. Her wow. T- bro, her tithing records, bro. Wow. We got evicted. We couldn't stay. So we had to move back to uh, Virginia. Wow. And it's wow. like, you know, when you have, when when your ministry is to take care of the widows, the orphans, mm-hmm. the aliens, the, basically the community, and the first thing you want to do is pull up tithing records, and this is your criteria to deal with the people in the community that you serve, right? Mm-hmm. How can you say you even serve your community? Yeah. You know, like we went to you guys for help and like my mom wasn't saying that she paid a whole rent for the year. She was just saying, look, this month I, I ain't got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So and like, you know, with, I've, I've seen other stories like that, but I remember that one vividly because I'm like, mom, where are we going? She's like, well, we're going back to grandma's house. All right. Well, wow. OK, Marquise, go ahead. You want to respond? No, it's I, so I've never went to a mega church. I've never had the misfortune of going to a <laughs> I've never wanted to. I think, so so let me let me put this let me put this out. Yeah. I, I will say this. Uh-huh. First of all, I don't believe in mega churches. Mm. Okay? okay. I don't believe that the concept of mega churches are biblical, first of all. Correct. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I don't I don't like mega churches. Now I think any church that is more than I'd say five hundred. I think five hundred is a is a healthy number that you can run and still know because the purpose of the pastor is to be the spiritual leader. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so if you go to my church, like there's these mega church pastors. Tell me Joe Olsen, you know all those people that go to your church? No. T.D. Jakes, you know those people that nope. go to your church? Creflo. Now, these are people who are sowing into your ministry, yeah. who are paying you and taking care of you, which is great. I think you should take care of your leaders, right? Yeah. But if you're sowing, I don't care if you're sowing a dollar a month, you're still sowing into this ministry, and I don't yeah. know your name. Yeah. I have a problem with that because I feel as though my call as a pastor is to shepherd. How can I shepherd a sheep I don't know? Well, the Bible says tough, though, that Marquise, it's it's tough. I'm I'm just I'm saying mm-hmm. it's it's tough because again, you're speaking about your calling. What if they feel like they truly were called to do this, right? We don't know. I mean, I mean, and they, they have. I think a lot of people start it. this thing very very genuinely. I'm not okay. I, okay. I think a lot of great men of God started this genuinely and then it goes goes awry because that's this is good this is great i want to ask this right uh, so let let, let me point this out real quick right okay i look at the ministry of jesus right he Mm -hmm. is the most perfect man to walk the earth Mm -hmm. when he had crowds crowds of five thousand, what happened by the time he got done with his speech or his sermon they were whittled down to the hundreds maybe 20s maybe 10 okay right so if you have a, if you're a mega church, what 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 message are you preaching that's allowing more people to come and listen to your message than they did Jesus's message, right? Uh-huh. So like, we have a, a generation of itchy ears. People want to hear yeah. something that makes them feel good, right? Okay. Uh-huh. And the issue that I have with church right now is that they're not preaching a message of salvation. Like they're not preaching the gospel of salvation. They're preaching the gospel 
that pretty much promises you if you do this, God will give you this and reward you this way. Okay, you know what I mean. Yeah. But which is contrary to the scripture. It's very contrary to the scripture. I, I, we don't see we don't see communities changing. We we got all these mega churches in Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. What change is the church making on the community? We got mega churches in in Houston. Yeah, the Potter's House, right? Yeah. What church What church is actually making an impact on the community? We okay. got churches downtown. We got we got a church right here, Ben's Church Boulevard, right? Yeah. What impact is that church having on the community to where the community now is being churched, right? Okay. We don't we don't really see much. You don't. I think the reason why we don't see much is twofold. I think part of it is the community's shunning of the church, but then the other part of it is the church's shunning of the community. So both doors are closed. Both yeah, both doors, both doors, both doors are, are closed. Yeah, the community yeah. is. I don't agree with the concept of church hurt. I really don't. People can say what they want, but I don't agree with the concept of church hurt. You may have been hurt and you may have been hurt by someone in the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the church, the actual church, the actual the body, body of Christ, of Christ yeah. okay. has done nothing to you. Okay. So I like our, that. Yeah, I like that. Because mm-hmm. that's what yeah. the church is. You yeah. keep. Yeah, and although we do make up the church, right? But the it, yeah. actual body of Christ has done nothing to you. Yeah, okay. And the people that were that did hurt you, her who were a part of this church, this physical church, right? Yeah. Typically they weren't following the word anyway. Correct. So okay. and if you Correct. as a Christian know that, why are you still holding that against everybody? Yeah. Right? So that that's my little spell on church hurt, which Okay, because because Jay Z mentioned something like that too, right? In four forty four, what did he say? I can't remember. Remember he talked about his mom going to the church or something. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, recall yeah. that. I recall yeah. that track. Okay, so real, real quick, sorry. No, you can't. I wonder, um, as far as like these mega churches and not that's my so that's my whole issue. If I can't know you, it hard. It's hard for me to shepherd you. Yeah. And I would rather shepherd 500 men and women of God who can actually, when I'm done shepherding them, go out into the community and affect positive change. Yeah. yeah. Actually proselytize, yeah. actually get into offices and positions and things like that, and then use their influence to better the community and yeah. better the people around you. Then, then to just say that, oh, I got a congregation of 5,000, because what does that do if, if, I got a congregation of 5,000, but only 100 of them are actually doing any work. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, here's, here's my question, right? Okay, here's my question. Because, you know, we all we all understand the saying, no, there are too many you know, chiefs, not enough Indians. We understand that, right? Would you rather have one pure pastor communicate the message to 5,000 or have 10 that are maybe half halfway decent communicate the same message to perhaps 500 apiece? Give me one. You want one, right? Give me one, because okay. Christ was one. Okay, okay. So here's what I'm saying, right? If that is the case, then, then how can we say we should not have mega churches? Because the because well, of the, the, the well, the one the one word you use was pure, right? Pure. That's, that's, that's pure. exactly what I'm about to Their message pure. isn't pure. Their message yeah. is based off of them. The, yeah. We have more motivational speakers than we do actual preachers. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. they're giving. Oh, they're. And like you said, itchy ears, they're giving you a good word. Well, well, no, sounds let, amazing. Let, what I'm saying, let's assume this one person is actually a very, very pure hearted Christian and his or her message is strictly about Christ and Christ's teachings yeah. and the commandments. And they're not doing it for the actual 
fame of it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have that one person, and it has to be a mega church, obviously, because there's five thousand people, right? At that point, do you disagree so with mega churches? Well, yes, so I, because so it doesn't I, I have think, to. Go ahead. Uh, I don't think it would exist. You don't think so? Okay. I don't think it would exist. So do you think it's very political at that point and it just perverts the message? Well, no, because like if you look at the example, right? People can't take hard messages. Okay. You, you had you had the the Son of God literally making, uh, you know, a meal out of uh, you know loaves of bread and fish, mm-hmm. feeding five thousand. Right? Mm-hmm. You got uh, other people who literally will drag. You got a guy dragging a mat onto a roof, and then the roof collapses, and then he he sees the guy on the roof, and then you know he tells them, "Hey, pick up your bed, pick up your bed, and walk." And then the guy walks away. They see miracles happening in front of them, right? And then he goes and he goes on the mountain to preach, and then the the message is so harsh. Right. It's so harsh mm-hmm. that the people can't even accept the message. They're like, I would rather live in my misery than to do what you're saying, mm-hmm. because it's just too hard for me to do. OK. Right. So that's a to me, that's a pure message. Right. So mm-hmm. just imagine <laughs> we go, we go shift course here. Just imagine if the true definition of adultery was taught in church. OK. How many women would be there? OK. Well, that's for a different episode. But I'm, I'm, but I'm but saying, right. no, you're right. I yeah. agree. I, I so, what you're so, but it goes back to like, how do we get That's back episode, to, right? yeah. how do we get back to that pure message? Right. And mm-hmm. when we have a pure message, how many people actually want to hold on to that message and how many people stay? Right. Because you got, when, when a message is taught, you got some people who actually grasp onto it for a little bit. Yeah. Then the fire burns out. Some okay. people won't grasp on at all. No, this is good. All right. This is good. So Marquise, tell me what you believe a pure Christian actually is what is what encompasses someone that is pure in the religion? Cause I, I think it's so difficult to understand completely what it means to be someone that's pure in a religion. Yeah. What is that? Like what does Jesus Christ want from a Christian? I mean, we know some of it, but tell me, what do you believe that is? Um, there is no pure Christian. There's no pure Christian. The, okay. the only pure Christian is Christ. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, so we're all that, diluted, obviously, that, right? That's, so that's kind of the premise that you have to come from. If you come from any other premise, you're automatically, you're already yeah, wrong. You, yeah, exactly. So okay. you have to come from the premise that I am not perfect. I can never be perfect. And the only way for me to even get close to perfection is to know Christ. Correct. Okay. Yeah. That's like, that's the only, like that, that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. And then once you get there, then I believe you can come into realization because a lot of the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is about, and some people won't like this, but it is about being self-aware. Okay. 100%, which means yeah. knowing what you can and cannot do. Knowing what you have the authority to do and not to do. Okay. Right? Because even Christ Christ and Paul both say the same thing, in, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but they both say the same thing is in there are deeper things I want to show you. Yeah. yeah. There are deeper, there's deeper levels to this that mm-hmm. I want to show you mm-hmm. that deeper levels in the spirit that you should know, but yeah. I can't teach you because yeah. okay. you're not ready for it yet. Yeah. Okay. And every time they try to begin to give them a glimpse into these deeper spiritual things, people, whether it's a harsh word or whether um, whether it's something they don't like or whether it goes against their ideology, they fight and they buck up against it, yeah, right? Yeah. And it is the bucking up that makes you realize that that's our imperfection. Yeah. And we don't like the mirror turned on ourselves. Mm-hmm. You don't, you really, um, a lot of people say, oh, I can take it, I can take it, I can you know, take your honesty, but you really can't. 
because you haven't even begun to be honest with yourself. Okay. And once you begin to be honest with yourself of how wretched and messed up and jacked up you really are and how much you really do need somebody, you can't save yourself. Like a part of the concept of, yes, you, you should, there are some things that you should be able to do yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can't save yourself eternally. Mm-hmm. You may be able to oh. save yourself out of a okay situation. Okay. But even that, it's really not you. It's the God in you that mm-hmm. gives you the strength or the ability to power through. So even knowing that, you know that, okay, I can get through anything. I can fight through anything, mm-hmm. but it's really not me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the, yeah. the purity is in recognizing your own impurities. Correct. Right. Okay. hundred yeah. percent. Well, there is a, so I want to ask you this, pastor. <laughs> when Jesus says, go and sin no more, mm-hmm. does that mean that a man is incapable of sin if he does everything he's supposed to do. What do you mean? When he, the woman at the well, mm-hmm. right? You know, this, you know, do you have a husband? She says, no, my husband's not here. Yeah. I know your husband's not here. Cause you've had five. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right. Go and sin no more. Right. So when Jesus says that to someone, take up your bed and walk, and, and, and walk go and sin no more. Right. Is he, is he essentially saying that you can live a life free of sin here on earth? No, I think that everybody that he says that to has had an encounter with him. Mm. Right. And so even from that perspective, it is not your individual ability to go forth and sin no more. It is your faith in him that allows you to look as though in the eyes of the father that there's no more sin. Because it is literally you imagine. Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay. Repeat that, brother. <laughs> mm-hmm. Repeat that, brother. <laughs> bro. I like that. That was, that was good. That was fantastic. That man. was good. Repeat yeah, that, man. That was fantastic. So it, it's yeah. not that. It's not that you don't sin. It's not that you are incapable of sin. Yeah. It's that in the eyes of the Father, it's like He can't see the sin, mm. right? Because the whole purpose and thrown in the sea of forgetfulness, right? Right. Mm-hmm. The whole purpose of mm-hmm. Christ in this in this. Um, like in this model, the whole purpose of Christ is to basically be the door. So Christ is the doorway, right? Yeah. You can't get to the father without going through the door, right? Mm -hmm. But can the father get to you? Yeah. Really? He, he, he set up the door. Yeah. He set up the door. So why would he go around the door? No, no, no. Well, he'll get to you through other means. He'll get to you through somebody who like who will actually bring you to the faith. Right. So, but even even that takes you to come. Even that takes the door. The door. The the mechanism of the door. And this is why I love the mechanism of the door because um, it's similar to the shield, right? In the sense of it stops you from getting to the Father. You can't get to the Father without Christ, but the Father can't get to you without Christ either. The father can't get to you without Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, this is why Christ was necessary. And this is why um, and when you go into the New Testament, they go into Abraham's bosom. And where is where's everybody at? Everybody. Yeah. And even when we go into like, where did Jesus go? Yeah, yeah, you know, when yeah, he yeah. died, he actually goes to Abraham's bosom. Right. And that's because you couldn't get to the father. 
without yeah. going to the door, nor could the father get to you because that's the, the rules that God sets up are just that they're the rules. Even God, once he put those rules in place are subject to those rules Yeah, exactly. because that's the way he ordained things. Right. So, so without getting super deep into the theological aspect of it, I'm saying all that to say that it is God covers us or Christ covers us. We are not perfect. And I, I'm a huge proponent of this. I never try to preach like I'm perfect, like I got to figure it out. Me and my yeah, wife, yeah. we're perfect. We got to figure it None like that. I, look, me and my wife still get into arguments. I am not the best father all the time. I am not the best husband all the time. Literally, I want to say two days ago, I broke down crying. Just I was, I was looking at my kids, man. They were playing. And my wife was just sitting there. She was holding um, Elias. And I was just looking at him. I just started crying. And she was like, what is wrong with you? And she just looked at me like, crazy. like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I just, I got to be better, man. And she was like, what do you mean? Like, what's, I was like, I got to be a better father. Yeah, yeah. I got to be a better husband to yeah. you. Like, that's, to me, and I looked at myself, and in the moment of seeing them and their, like, their purity, they're just, you know, they're just being yeah. kids and she's just being a mom and all that. And I'm like, I got to be a better husband. I got to be a better dad. I mm-hmm. owe them that much. I want to stop you there. Oh, okay. There's something that most men really don't understand, right? Uh-huh. He's a great father already. I I certainly think he is. He's a, he's a great I, husband I would, already. Yeah, right? I, would, I would love to understand what it means to be better because I think he's a fantastic father, husband, and as one yeah. of my best friends. I've seen him mature into who he is today. And he's all, he's always been a great person. Yeah. And I mean, I think he's a much better man than I am. But I, I think, I think this, that, but that that's, that is, the, sorry, I'm going to cut you off, but that's the point. I'm not, I'm, I, yeah. I bec- so the point of being self-aware, which I think, like I said, really in the new Testament, I think that's a lot of what Christ is showing Correct. us. Right. Yes. So a part of the point of being self-aware is knowing no, who knows your dirt better than you. Exactly. Okay. That's exactly it. Nobody <laughs> That's exactly knows your it. dirt okay. better than you. Yeah. Nobody knows your imperfections. Like outside of God, Christ, right? Nobody yeah. knows my uh-huh. wife. Nobody knows me better than my wife. Yeah. Right. So even though I, I always push against the concept when parents always tell you, I know you better than you know yourself. No, you no, don't. You don't. You, there's no way you yeah. know me. Yeah. My wife knows me better than anybody, and my wife doesn't even know me the way that I know. I, yes, me correct. Because yes, she doesn't correct. know my thoughts. She doesn't yes. know the things yes. that plague me that that like I have to fight against it. I have to war against. Right. She doesn't know that. Right. And so, in that, I know. I am not the best father I could be. So what you're saying is there's a standard that you have for yourself. You've already met the standard here for everyone else that sees you. Mm-hmm. But there's a standard you have for yourself that you still like, bro, there's still more I can meet. There's more I can get There's, there's more I can meet. And, I think, okay. and so I think there's one thing that separates men who really achieve more mm-hmm. than the men who underachieve, right? Because there's a certain mark that the men who underachieve, don't, they're okay with. Okay. They're okay with mediocrity, right? Uh-huh. And for us, mediocrity is not okay. The ordinary is not okay. The extraordinary is what we aim for, right? Uh-huh. And, you know, I, bro, I feel you because there are times where I'm just looking at my life and I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm grateful for everything that I have. And it's like, I still need to do more for my boys. I need mm-hmm. to do more for my daughter. Like, I, I need to show them. And the 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 prayer that I've had, man, I, I want to say for the last 20, 25 years is, Lord, let me see people the way you see. Let me have mm-hmm. your eyes. Right. And when you pray a prayer like that, you will see a lot of things that mm-hmm. you didn't want to see before. 
Okay. Right. Yeah. And when I liken my marriage to anybody in the Bible, it's like Gomer and Hosea, right? There was a time where Hosea had to marry a prostitute and the prostitute literally would go out and Hosea would have to go back and pull her back in, Mm -hmm. pull her back in, give her everything she needs. And then she'd go out again. Mm -hmm. He'd pull her back, give her everything she needs and she'd go out again. She had kids and all sorts of stuff. And it it was, it was reminiscent of the relationship that Israel had to, to God. right? Right. Okay. So God will pull them in, protect them, give them everything they need. And then they go out and find other gods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He pull them back in. You know, it's, it's just like it's constant pulling in, constant pulling in. And it's like when when you finally can see the standard that you have for yourself and you see how far away it is. And everybody's telling you, Lamont, you're great. Lamont, you do this. Lamont, you do that. You're like, bro, like, I don't care about none of that. Okay. Because I haven't met the standard that, I, that, that I've set for myself. Right. Because I'm in my mind. I'm like, God, you've you created me to do something greater than what I've done. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like. Bro, I feel, I feel that I wanted to stop and and like get on that point, man, because that is the mark of a man, right? That, that is, is the mark, mark of a man to be able to get accolades from everybody who's around you and still say it's not enough. I haven't done enough. Yeah, I, I think complacency is the enemy of greatness, mm. right? Yeah, I, I think it's the number one killer of of men, of yeah, hundred percent of men that were previously capable. But they become mm-hmm. complacent. Yeah, yeah. become right. complacent. Yeah. I, I told MJ the other day. So, I, you know, we've I've MJ's your son. MJ's my son. Yeah. So, I've been getting on him lately, just about him not doing things, not just doing things, but doing things the right way. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like I tell him to clean his room. Yeah. And till the naked eye is clean. But then I'm like, did you clean up under your bed? Did you clean up under the dresser? Are all the toys put away the way that they're supposed to be put away? Are the shoes straight? Right? Because, no, because like you know, kids, kids will yeah, they will yeah, stuff they will stuff what they can in whatever corner they find, right? And so it's not about you cleaning because to the naked eye it looks fine. Yeah. But if I go through it with a fine tooth comb, is it clean? Is it right? clean? Yeah. And so I've been stressing to him lately because he's seven; he's about to turn eight. I've been stressing to him lately the concept of like. Doing things the right way, not just doing them, Correct. but doing them the yeah, right yeah. way. So I was, t- I was having a conversation with him the other day, and he was just like, I just want to be better. I said, it's okay. You have a lot of time to get better. Mm-hmm. You don't stop getting better until yeah. God calls you home. Yeah. But, and then I told him, I said, you have the choice in life. You can be a man, or you can be a good man. Mm. But why be a good man? You can be a great, great man. man. Mm-hmm. But then I said, but why be a great man when you can be a man of God? Mm. Wow. Why, why, why are you settling? Yeah. Why would you settle? Bro, this like, is we, good. We're bro. so. <laughs> bro, this is beautiful This stuff. is crazy, I mean, bro. This is I'm telling you, man. Our, our world, this. man, yeah. is so yeah. set up on it's okay to be mediocre. Yeah. It's okay. Like, it's okay to get C's in school. It's okay yeah. because a C will pass you. Right, I got C's. Yeah, yeah it's, 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 I got C's too. <laughs> this is the one with the A's. And <laughs> hey, look where he is—a lawyer. I'm, I'm telling you, bro. I'm a nerd. That's me. Yeah, that's yeah. all right, man. That's all right. C's yeah. a pass you. C's a pass, pass you. Yeah. But but what do C's get you? You're just you're average. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with being average. There's nothing wrong with being average. There's I'm nothing not wrong with being that. average. I'm not going to agree if, with that. But there's nothing wrong with you being average if average is your capacity. I don't think average is anyone's capacity, though. I think you're speaking about intellectual. 
No, but, but in general, if if some people, every, not everybody could be King David. So I, so I will say this: average will always be a standard, right? Yeah. Average so, is a standard. So so if okay. everybody if everybody rises to the level of above average, that will be the new that's, standard. That's the new standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so standard. there are some people they will look. They're average. This is the standard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and. As hard as they try, they may get squeak past it a little bit. But uh-huh. when they settle, their settling point will always be at the point of average. Well, yeah. I, I'm not speaking about intellectually. I'm speaking about effort. Even right? effort. Okay. But I, I think you can put in above average effort and become an above average person, even if you have average intellectual capabilities. I think even if, yeah. I I mean, think yeah, if, even if you look at sports, right? Let's, let's take sports, for example, right? Okay. There are some guys, let's take the NBA. Mm-hmm. The average NBA player. The, the average. I'm talking about the guy who. I'm not talking about LeBron James. Yeah. Uh-huh. Some of the average NBA player could probably come out here and kick all of our tails, like oh, with, with ease, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. But the, that's I think the average that's D1 their, collegiate player could do that too. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so average, average for them is above average for me. Is above <laughs> average for me. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, saying, yeah. but so when we're talking about average, like even if we're talking about the number, it's where you settle at, right? Mm-hmm. So the average human being. It's like the average man, like we're, I'm, a, I'm technically exceptionally tall. I'm 6'4", right? Yeah, yeah. Technically, you're tall. You're what, 6'2", right? No, six I'm, one? I'm six foot probably. Okay. I'm the average. So yeah, what's, I'm how, how like tall five, are you? Eight, five, I'm 5'9". Five, five, nine. Nine. Five, yeah. nine. So that's the average. I'm yeah. technically like exceptionally tall because I'm 6'4". Yeah. I'm not tall enough for the NBA. Okay, listen. Now, okay, you know, you're right. Do you get but what I'm here, saying? But here, here, here is, here's a distinction, right? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Muggsy Bowes. Muggsy Bowes. But let's talk about this serious. This is a very serious yeah. thing, right? Lamont, right now, you, you shaved, so yours is not where it was. Yeah, correct. But you had an above average beard. I did. <laughs> you, my good sir, the beard whisperer. <laughs> like the beard whisperer. The average man cannot grow this the average beard. Man right? But I can't I sh- your beard. I, I shaved mine. So, but I can't be the standard. I shaved okay. my four year beard. Okay. That, that's the point. That this can't be the okay. standard. I shaved I, my four year beard yeah. to try but, to get to that. You're, you're <laughs> right. down there. You're yeah, down so, there. so this is three weeks right here. So this the is three point weeks. is, asking me, yeah. even the question that you guys asked me in the beginning, it's an uh-huh. unfair question to ask. Okay. Right? Genetics. Because it's yeah, genetics. Yeah, genetics yeah. This, the, like, there's some people that's yeah. just born with this, you know, mine is my beard. LeBron James is his height and his intellectual basketball mind. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's some things that they're just. I will say this. Three years ago, I had waves. <laughs> bro, I had waves three years, a head full of hair three years ago, bro. Life happens, everybody. Life happens, bro. Yeah. yeah. So, so my problem, my problem with all of society, especially men in society, yeah. is you being okay with being average. Yeah. Not when, and what you're okay with being average does is it now lowers the it bar lowers the average, yeah. of everybody. It lowers the average. Right? Yeah. It mm-hmm, lowers yeah. the average. Mm-hmm. So it used to be, let's say if everybody, everybody, so C is like the average, right? Your average student. That means that everybody should be able to make, what's a C? Um, a, seven, a 70? It was 70, yeah. 70. Whatever. It was like 70 to 80 as a C when we was in school, right? Okay. That That's average. That's what everybody, but imagine if everybody starts making 60s now. Yeah. When um, now uh, the the average is sixty nine. So how can you get mad at me because I know the same amount as everybody else, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So now the average comes down, but what also has to come down with that? 
Competence, I think, comes down. That's also the competence of what excellence is. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Okay. So the standard of excellence. The standard now, of excellence now has to go okay. down as the uh, average goes down. So, so now somebody a, who. Okay. So now right, somebody okay. who knows okay. only seventy okay. percent of the material now they're exceptional. They're exceptional. But you're not wow. really. Wow. So and so this is my point as far as men is as far as men are concerned. I think that right now the average man is at fifty to sixty. As far as capacity, yeah. I so agree. I, I see. Yeah, I agree. And with so that. it makes mm-hmm. the standard yeah. of like you're looking at me, and I'm looking at I'm you're looking at me, and I'm looking at me. And I'm like, yo, I'm only I'm only at seventy percent. I know I'm no, I'm not feel, giving my full one hundred. I feel the same way somehow. I don't know why I feel that. No, way. No, because bro, it's again we're not. You don't have to do much to be exceptional. It's exceptional nowadays, right? Yeah. So if you just do five to ten percent more than what the average person does, you're looked mm-hmm. at as exceptional. Yeah. And you know, I'll give you an example, man. Like with me trying to hit this million million dollar mark, right? Everybody would always come to me and like, yeah. So you get all the easy calls. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what do you mean easy calls? Yeah. <laughs> like these are opportunities. All right. So look, give me some of the hard calls, mm-hmm. and then I will show them that I will turn a hard call into an easy call into mm-hmm. a sale. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like. You know, the, the bar is set so low that they think that an exceptional man is doing, you know, 100 to 50 times more mm-hmm. than what the average man is doing. Yeah. I'm doing the same thing y'all are doing. I'm just doing it just maybe five or 10 minutes more than what you're mm-hmm. doing every day. Yeah. Just five or 10 and, minutes. And that five that's or 10 minutes though. adds up though. It does add up. And that's, I think I told you about this, right? Yeah. And, you know, people ask me, well, God, how is he like getting all of these things done within a 24 hour period? Yeah. How is he where he is right now? He's 30 years old. But I said, listen, I get up at like 5.15, you know, 5.15 mm-hmm. between that and 5.30. The it's average man gets up at 7.30, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, right? So yeah. I have a two and a half hour jump on you. Yeah. Do that times 11. That's basically a day. Yeah. So after 11 days of the month, I have an extra day than what you have. Yeah. After a full month, I may have two more extra days than what mm-hmm. you have. Do that over the course of a year. I basically have a, an additional month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have 13 months. I don't have yeah. 12 months. And I think I think that's the reason why Jesus was so extraordinary, right? Because he right. was doing things that the ordinary leader, church leader, was not doing. Was yeah. not doing. He was, and so uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm going to contradict um, everybody's favorite pastor right now, Mike Todd, when he said Jesus didn't meet his maximum potential. How did he not? What? How did he not? So and who is so, this guy? Let, who, go, yeah, who is this guy? I don't let's, know. Let's go back. I, I've never heard of him. Does Mike Todd ever meet that though? Does huh? any man ever actually meet their maximum potential? Well, if anybody did, it would be Christ. It would be Christ. It would be Christ. It would be Christ, would be Christ so, and, and Buddha, maybe, and every other religious leader, probably, that people believe in. Well, that's, uh, well I, 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 I do like I do like Buddha. Bro, there's a there's a very good book, Buddha Allah, by uh, Thich Nhat Hanh called Living Buddha, Living Christ. You gave me that book, and yeah. I read that book. It's a very good book. Very I've, never, good book. I've never heard of the book. Thich Nhat Hanh. That one, and also you gave me Anger. Anger I, by I read Thich that one as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, but... To, to back to the concept of, you know, like the percentage thing, right? So if everybody is doing where I think men today are at 50 to 60 percent, uh-huh. they're not they're not at 70 percent. I think then, men of old were at. I think men of old were at 70%. I think think they were maybe at 70 or even 80%. I agree, man. But they probably at 120 compared to us. (laughs) (laughs) But now, so the guys of their times who were exceptional, who were hitting that, like, Mm -hmm. they're hitting 90. You got to hit 90% to be exceptional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, like I said, people look at you and they're like, oh, man, you're, you're a great father. You're a great husband or whatever. And I'm like, 
yo, for real, I'm really only giving 70%. And I'm look, but that's where the self awareness comes in at, where you have to, because if you're just listening to everybody else around you, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, well, I'm it goes, doing it goes back to what you said, right? The bar is set so low for fathers now, right? right. They, they don't even have a good well, expectation to fathers. Listen, none of us had, I think, the best father. No, not at I don't, all. Listen, yeah. I, and I'll say this I, I had a fantastic adoptive father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Most definitely. Whom, whom you know, you never met him. I never met right. him. But I didn't have him my entire life. Yeah. I had him for a few years of my life, right? Yeah. But our natural father. But, but look at the impact had, just a few years of him. He, he was a he was a monumental, a giant of a man. Yeah. But look, if if you look at the, look at the old look at the black community, right? Mm. So in the late, I want I want to say in the six in the seventies and the eighties is where you see really the exodus of the black fathers out of the home, mm-hmm. right? I want to say early millennial, you start to see them coming back into the home where there are a lot more fathers into the home. Mm-hmm. But I want, but I would submit to black culture and black men as a whole that that's not enough. You being just in the home is not enough. Because well, so then you'll go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Presence yeah, so, is not enough. I, I, Presence I, I, is not yeah. enough. That because you'll go impact. back to, there, was, there were a group of men um, I, I really believe you have to look past even the the sixties and the seventies. You have to go back to the the twenties, the twenties, mm-hmm. the thirties, and mm-hmm. the forties mm-hmm. for the men who weren't just in the home, but they were fathers. You have yes. to be impactful. Presence does not. Yeah, presence does, does not mean. So that we you got we got we got fathers now who are here, and bro, I, I, this was me. I was priding myself in the fact that I could change two diapers at once with my twins. Right. Right. Yeah. I was priding myself in doing everything my wife Left could do. Left hand boom, right hand boom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting both done Bro, at the same time. Yeah. I prided myself in doing everything my wife could do because uh-huh. I thought this was the measure of a man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, uh, you know, I, I look back now, I had to apologize to my sons because I'm like, yo, I'm sorry. Even though I was there, I still failed you as a father. I'm mm-hmm. sorry because the feminine idea of masculinity is what I was living by. Right. The feminine idea of masculinity. Yeah. I was there. I was present. I was changing diapers, bro. I was doing. I was doing the feeding. I was doing the burping. Did I was doing everything. Formula? Yeah, formula as well. Yeah, we have formula. Yeah. yeah so because yeah. my wife, she didn't want to. She she couldn't breastfeed. She did. She she tried in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, it was too difficult. So you know we didn't want to continue on with that. So we yeah. couldn't move on to the regular formula. We had to go to the extremely expensive Similac. Okay. Right. So I had yeah. to buy three cans every week yeah. on eleven dollars an hour salary, bro. And my wow. wife wasn't really working at the time. While, while also giving 50 hours a week to the church. To the church, yeah. That's right. So it was mm-hmm. it was a very difficult situation, right? But I pride myself in being the, the father that could do everything because I thought that's what a man was supposed to do, yeah. right? Yeah. And the thing that I missed was that I was not teaching my boys how to be men. I was teaching them how to be their mother. This is a different... This is a different episode, right? It's a different episode. And I, I think this man next to me can can give you as well. Definitely, actually, both of you guys, and yeah. less me, but more you guys can speak about how the young black man becomes feminized by being raised by a single mother and does not learn how to be masculine. You have to come up yourself and teach yourself, or yeah. find other men in your environment. That's a different episode, right? I don't want to get into that. It's a different episode, yeah. bro. That's a whole other hour to have. Let me let me ask this, Jim. Let me ask yeah. this, Jim. Okay, because I want us to, I think, wrap this one up with this question, right? And then part two, we can discuss some additional stuff. Yeah, most tomorrow. Definitely. Tomorrow's part two, right? Tomorrow's part two. Yeah. Okay. 
Let's get next to, week for you guys. Next week for you guys. Let's get to a more fun question here, all right? And I know okay. you all who are very studied men of the Bible, not me as much. Who do you all associate most with in the Bible? Which character? I think I kind of already answered this a little bit, but Did you? Okay. If, if I if I had to say a second person, it would be Job. Job, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us Job's story. Job was a faithful man, right? Job mm-hmm. was faithful to God. And literally, the devil went before the council, right? Mm-hmm. And he asked him, he said, uh, he asked God, he said, uh, your servant Job, he, had, he only serves you because he has everything that you give him. Mm-hmm. He has everything that you give him. God was basically, par- I'm paraphrasing. All right, well, t- take it away. See if he's still faithful. Takes his kids away, takes his fortune away, takes his family away, takes his house away, takes his health away. And Job is literally, I mean, this is a wealthy guy. I mean, we could probably attribute him to maybe Donald Trump or Warren really? Buffett or okay. somebody yeah, extremely healthy, yeah. wealthy, right? Um, a plethora of kids, a wife, you know what I mean? Like he had everything that men strive to be and pretty much was stripped of all of it. Let me ask this. I don't know the yeah. answer to this. Is Job a disciple? No, 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 he's no, not. No. Okay, no. okay. So he's just Old a Testament. He's, he's just a, a character. He's a book. faithful man. Yeah, faithful just a man. faithful okay. man to God. Right. right? I don't know. So I, that's why I ask. And uh, at the end of it, he never cursed God. Okay. He, he never. I thought he came. I thought he was going to come close. He never cursed God. And okay. I liken that to uh, the the divorce that I had the first time. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I said the first time. <laughs> My it's only, only one. The only, only one. Yeah, the only one. And. My first, well, the, the the divorce I had that time, I, I really, I had to take time away to really understand the word, right? I was always the churched individual. I okay. was the churched man. Yeah. And then I, I had my prodigal son experience where I actually went out and experienced the world for what it was. I wasn't out here having sex. I wasn't doing all this crazy stuff. I just wanted mm-hmm. to be amongst the people, right? Uh-huh. And when I stepped away from the church culture and being churched as an individual, things begin to kind of like make sense to me. So I always say knowledge is not power, right? Mm-hmm. You can have a wealth of knowledge, but you, if you don't know how to apply it, you don't have any understanding. Okay. So applicable knowledge. Yeah. Is power. Okay. yeah. So to me, knowledge and experience creates understanding, uh, right? So like when you that. have knowledge, okay. but you have the experience behind it, now you have the understanding factor. Ah, nice. And nice. the thing is when you talk about the fear of the Lord, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning yeah. of wisdom. Yeah. Right. Mm. And there was a time where I got to the rock bottom of my life. And that's when I truly feared God. That, that's when I was like, you know what, Lord? Like, I'm ready. I, like, I'm ready to be in your presence, man. I'm done. Okay. I'm done with life. Now, this is after you were already a, a pastor. Yeah, no, this is this is years past that. Man. Okay, this is probably. Uh-huh. So I was a pastor at 19. I held the church until maybe 22, 23. This is when I was 28, 29. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, one of the reasons why I stepped down was in first Peter talks about, uh, making sure that the doctrine that you teach matches up with the life that you live because it will affect mm-hmm. those who hear you. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the doctrine that I was teaching, I was convicted every, every Sunday, every Sunday, I was not living that doctrine. And I just, I, I had to step away cause I'm yeah. like, I'm not going to be fake. Yeah. I'm not going to be the guy that says, Hey, this is how you're supposed to live life. And I'm struggling in my marriage. Mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't do it, man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was certain things that led to my divorce, right? Which I found out it, it, it hurt me, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, 
um, there were certain things that I literally <sighs> had to live. Uh, there was a life I had to live in order to get to the understanding that I have now. Right. Yeah. And I felt like Job in that moment because I lost everything. I mean, I had a 730 credit school. I wasn't making a lot of money. I wasn't wealthy. But the money that I made, my wife didn't have to work. Okay. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. um, I was always chasing for that American dream, right? The white picket uh-huh. fence, trying uh-huh. to buy the house, doing all uh-huh. this other stuff. And I just I could never get there, bro. I just couldn't get there. And I'm like, God, all right, well, I can keep fighting. I know you're telling me something. Yeah. And the next thing you know, boom, all this stuff was revealed to me. And I'm like, ah, that makes sense. Okay, so yeah. so that's why you feel like you and Joe were very yeah very because much I, I lost everything, bro. I went yeah. down to literally a three hundred and fifty, three hundred sixty something credit score from a seven thirty from a seven thirty. Wow, I had yeah. sixty something plus thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, garnished my wages for I don't know how many years, bro. I, like yeah. I just I lost every like the reputation that I had. The people who loved me didn't love me anymore. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just I, I was. My health didn't give way, thank God, but I was literally like the perfect upstanding citizen, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. this is Lamont, yo, this is who he is, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. To, oh, that's Lamont. Yeah, yeah, we almost went. Isn't it interesting, right, that if you are a certain type of man, you always find your way back to rock bottom. You do. Yeah. Whether intentionally or accidentally. Yeah. You try your best to find your way back to when your back was against the wall. Yeah. Because you almost need that. You need it, bro. You need it. You need it to get you yeah. to that point where you would just go into a, a certain mode. Yeah. And it's almost like a survival mode, right? Yeah. Rock bottom is the best place, I think, for men like us. Yeah. And maybe just men in general. When you have nowhere else to turn. Yeah. You turn to who? Turn to God. There you go. And I think, too, like, it, it, to me, it was also it, an indication that God was saying, you remember when I said you should not have any other guys before me? Uh-huh. <laughs> right? This life that you thought yeah. was the great life that you had, that right. was your God. That That's who you served, wow. right? Yeah. Yeah. The the people that you were trying to please, that was that was your God. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So now that I took it all away, are you still here? <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. like I'm here, bro. <laughs> like, I'm here, man. Like, that's why I'm, like, I'm, I'm now. I'm like, yo, take it all away again. Take it away. Take it away again because yeah. I know, even if I don't get it back, I know where my I know where my faith is. I know where my trust is, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know God has put in me something no one can take away. There you go. You know what I mean? And there it's just go. it's something that I really I really enjoy, man. Because I felt like I had the Job experience, uh-huh. and um, I'm grateful because. A lot of people can't bounce back from that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had, I had, bro, I had a few people who went through a similar situation like mine and just kind of off themselves. Off themselves, yeah. Yeah. Because they just, it was something they couldn't, couldn't take. Marquise, who do you feel like you most associate with in the Bible? And again, like you guys. I like that question, bro. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you guys, like, you guys are so studied, right? So yeah. I, I just thought it was like a. Well, great, he's more studied than I am. <laughs> You all are both extremely well-versed, man. I have never been to seminary. Oh. Yeah, I've never been to seminary. Um, Everything that I know, and this is every time I've even started school, started seminary, um, I end up having to stop for one reason or another. And I um, I really think it's God telling me and showing me, like, anything that happens, anything. You know, however far 
I take you, it'll be because I take yes, you. Yes, yes. It won't be because of any degree that anybody gave you yeah, yeah. or whoever did it. It'll be because I took you there. Yeah. Um. So that that's where I'm at with that. So, yeah, I'm not... Um, I'm a scholar of the word, but only because I have had to actually study. Yeah. I've had too many times where I've sat down with somebody and I've said the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happens. I've sat down with somebody and yeah. this is somebody like it's hard sitting down with some of the men of God that I know who have MDivs and PhDs, and then you're trying to have a conversation with them and you're trying to track everything that they're talking about, and you're like, yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so it makes you. That's like, when I just start taking notes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it makes you have to go back and just study, bro. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if I, I hate to use it because I feel like everybody uses him, but I I use it from a very. I think people use it because they don't oh. know. Um. Oh, sorry. That's my dog. Okay, guys. That's that's our. our and uh, friendly neighborhood Kino. Kino. <laughs> He's doing his job. He's doing his He's job. job. Um, I'll say two people. Mm-hmm. Number one would be David. Mm. And the reason why I say David, it's because of the heart that he had for God mm. and the many failures that he had congruently. Okay. Uh-huh. And... For men in the faith who we know God, uh-huh. it becomes very easy to get led astray. Um, but I love David's heart in it. Um, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And I always kind of like question myself, like, God, am I doing this for me or am I doing this for you? Uh-huh. And I think that that's a good question that every man should, especially one that's in like ministry should always ask themselves, God, am I doing this for me? Or am I doing this for you? Am I doing this to build my kingdom or am I doing this to build your kingdom? Okay. Who am I doing this for? Because you have to always question your intentions right. because your intentions are real. Your intentions are a real thing. And yeah. the fact that, so these people who just, oh, I'm just out here doing the will of God. Praise God. If that's true. Mm-hmm. But, Woe unto you if you haven't even asked yourself, well, wait a minute, is this the will of God Mm. or is this my will? Yeah. And so we constantly see David asking that. We constantly see that in the Psalms. We constantly see that, you know, even in the, you know, retelling of his story through the prophets. Yeah. Like we, we see David battling constantly with the notion of I could be wrong. Right. Even with all the, and even in the many things that he got wrong, because mm-hmm. David got a lot wrong. He did, yeah. He yeah. got a lot wrong, but he always turns back to the same thing. Um, the other person that I would say would be his son, Solomon. Mm, Solomon, wow. And, and I, I say that a very be- story character at the Bible. Yeah. Oh man, very story. I, I don't character. think people really understand the magnitude of Solomon. Like, if you number one, who was a king, who was a king, but mm-hmm. the 
Solomon turns away from the faith. He does. You told me about that. Solomon turns away. I get all of my knowledge from you guys. Right. So, so, uh, so real quick, real quick, right? So, <laughs> the command against kings was to not to multiply wives, not to multiply livestock, not to multiply riches and gold and all this other stuff, right? Uh-huh. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. He had a thousand women, right? Oh, my God. And the women were the ones who turned his heart away from God because yeah. so... I didn't know this until up like maybe recently, right? So if you go to witchcraft, witchcraft really uh, credits Solomon for a lot of their grimoires. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the the lesser keys of, of Solomon, right? Yeah, yeah. a lot of um, there are. I hate to get into it because it's not biblical, but there is a lot of biblical lore, lore that Solomon was a, like a wizard. Okay? Yeah, that's because he had married all these different women yeah. mm-hmm. from different places, different. Tri- Solomon would still he had the same problem his daddy had. Yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he still won't be like. He still won't. I, I, I got to hide that one. Look, David I want you, and I'm gonna have David it. Solomon's <laughs> okay, so David yeah. is Solomon's father. Okay, so David is Solomon's father. Yeah, I like you. I like you, and I want you, and I want you. But <laughs> so he yeah. had the same problem his daddy you know, had. Yeah, catch that reference. Shout out, Bulldogs. Shout out, Bulldogs. <laughs> the he, booty warrior. He, he had the same problem as a real guy. Yeah, that's a real guy. That's a real guy. Let's not discuss that down this on this episode because this is a very, very spiritual. Hey, we human, bro. We human. Yeah, that, that is a. But yeah, so he has the same problem. Same problem. Okay. Same ahead. problem that his dad has. His he uh-huh. see a woman and it's you know he off to the races, right? Well, how yeah. many wives did David have? Do you guys know that? So. So I, I don't remember it recorded, but I don't remember the exact yeah. number either. I know he had to have at least three. Yeah, at bare minimum. Th- 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 that's off the top of my head. Yeah, because, because the, the biggest thing was yeah. his wife from his wife from Saul. Yeah. Okay, and then he definitely had hit Bathsheba because yeah. he married Bathsheba as well. Yeah. Uh huh. Right. Um. And so the the crazy part, right? So Bathsheba was actually married to Uriah. Right. So this is where adultery comes in. Mm-hmm. So he sees he sees Bathsheba bathing right mm-hmm. on on a rooftop, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, she bad. Okay. I gotta have her." Yeah, yeah. Gets information on her. The guy comes back. Yeah, this is Uriah's wife. Uh huh. Uriah serves you faithfully in the war. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Oh, put him on the front line." Put yeah, him on the front line. Wow. Yeah, he sent man's off the war. Yeah, wow. yeah. Just so he would U- die. Uriah was so faithful to David, he didn't even have sex with his wife the day before he left. And David was trying to get him to have sex with his wife yeah. so that when the child that was conceived, they could put it on Uriah. Yeah. Because he had already slept with her. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But, 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 but bro, goes deep, it goes deep, bro. It this goes, man, this man deep. wrote Psalms 27, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. One of the, the most faithful Psalms I pray all the time. The, oh, my gosh, man. It's, it's another story, but... Uh, I told yeah. you about my homeboy CJ. He had a Psalms twenty seven. You told me about it, yeah, right? Yeah, when, when he passed away, homeboy read it to him. But um, um, rest yeah. in peace to CJ. Yeah, I didn't know you, but Lamont knew you. Yeah, that was and my guy, man. That was your friend. Yeah. So, all right, listen, guys. I mean, this was a fantastic episode. Very yeah. informative for me. You guys are, are so studied. You know, well, well spoken. Well, you know, uh, so much knowledge, man. Just yeah. of the good book itself, and I got a lot of good information from you all today. Yeah. And listen, I'm looking forward to part two. You know, we'll be back here recording some more. Yeah. And until then, y'all, you know, we are the Born Moguls podcast. 
helping men become effective, exceptional, and extraordinary. That's right. Marquise, thank you so much for being here with us, man. No this problem. was um, amazing. Yeah. I mean, Yo, every, every time. Every time. Every time. He's just giving all this <laughs> He's a wealth of knowledge, bro. I'm, I'm telling, telling you. you. Man, that's, why, that's why Solomon is his guy. Right? <laughs> he, he, he has lived a very difficult life. And I, yeah, most have, definitely. Yeah. We all have lived very difficult lives. I think men that live difficult lives have such wisdom to give yeah. people, right? And yeah. so... Well, I'm looking forward to real man. Quick, I'll say like Solomon is actually my favorite, not because of his wisdom. Solomon is my favorite more so because of how he strays so far away, mm. and at the end of it, he's just like, "Wait a minute, did I do all this for nothing?" Yeah, yeah, Ecclesiastes. Yeah, and it, like that's <laughs> yeah. but so for me. Yeah. That's yeah. always my sobering moment mm-hmm. because as a father, as a husband, we can get caught up in the work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can get caught up in trying to provide, trying to make sure that the wife has everything she needs and wants, how the kids are straight and they got everything they need and want. We get caught up in so much of these worldly things. And then you're like, wait a minute, this is all for nothing. This yeah. could, all, it could all be for nothing. Yeah. Right. Because what if I raise MJ to be a great man? And I'm looking at the, I'm always about the last name. I'm looking at the last name, right? And MJ has a son and, you know, hopefully his son has a son. But what if his son only has a daughter? My name could die out and I have nothing to do with it. It could, yeah. Right? So my goal is not just to raise a man, but raise raise a good man or raise an excellent man, but raise a godly man. Mm -hmm. Because if he has God, he's going to instill God in his sons and his daughters. Yeah. Yeah. But I think too, it's it's also the mark that you know what what legacy will you leave for the rest of the world, right? Right. Will they know your name? And I think based on what you're doing, man, I think they will. They will. They, to me, they, that's they, the scary will, part, man. though, man. It's, it, it is. It's scary. It's scary. It's, because, it's scary. It's, 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 listen, uh, okay, sorry. It's scary. No, 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 it's scary. Listen, because we got so much more to talk about. I want to save. Yeah. This for the next episode, okay. guys. Listen, yeah. most definitely. Because I think, listen, we we probably have. If we wanted to, ten more hours. Or something. Yeah, yeah, we could definitely do. It. We got a lot <laughs> we of stuff, man. Do it, we don't want to overwhelm the audience. Yeah, with the episode. Thank you guys for giving all of this, all of this great knowledge, man. Like, you know, I'm thankful, and I hope that somebody watches this, male, female. I know, you know, we have a male audience for the most part, but um, even women. I hope you guys watch this and get something from it, right? Yeah. You know, take yeah. something from it and, and give it to the men that you're dating. And hopefully they become better men from listening to you two gentlemen talk about these things. Thank you for imparting wisdom upon me. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to part two. I am one half of your host, Dante Wright. I'm here hey. with the legend himself. One honest guy, man. And Mr. Garrison, Pastor yeah. Garrison, a.k.a. The Beard Whisperer. <laughs> we are signing out, guys. Take hey, it easy, look. y'all. Born moguls, men become effective, exceptional, and extraordinary. Next yeah. time. We out. Take it easy.